Hi, this is meteorologist Steve Pelletieri, and I am the weatherman. Thank you for listening to our latest podcast. Today is going to be a little bit different. I'm starting out with a more or less an introduction to myself, a little bit of a history about me and uh, how I got into all this. Uh, basically, I've always liked everything up, meaning look up, see the stars, and uh, see the clouds, see the airplanes go by. I'm down here in Brigantine during the month of August, and uh, the parasite meteor shower usually reaches its maximum at around the 11th, 12th. Uh, you really do need a dark sky, however, to take a look at uh, shooting stars. Uh, the parasites are probably the best shooting star uh what we call shower that you can see throughout the year. They're Leonids uh, in November happen once every 33 years. Otherwise, they're just minor events. And of course, there are the Geminids that occur somewhere around the 11th, 12th of the month of December as well. And uh, usually I have a better sky, but uh, didn't see many this year. My brother Bill, who is out in a dark sky out in western New Jersey, uh, saw quite a few and had a good time watching those shooting stars. But again, it all goes back to looking up. And that's what it was for me as a young boy. I think the very first time that I was out there looking at the stars and uh, I saw a shooting star, uh, I was hooked. And I said, from that point on, I wanted to see more and more. And the very first AMS, well, the AMS nowadays is the American Meteorological Society, was the American Meteor Society. That's still in existence to this day. And you can find out information on them online. But it was just one of those situations where I just loved pretty much everything science when I was a kid. And uh, I also used to watch the airplanes. We lived in Hillside. And there was a runway there, 1129. And when the winds were out of the northwest, the airplanes would take over. And back in the 1960s, those airplanes were very loud. You had propeller-driven aircraft like Lockheed Constellations, uh, Lockheed Electras, Martin 404s, DC-7s, DC-6s, and so forth. They were loud. They usually stayed pretty low, and they were quite impressive when they used to go over the house. But then, of course, you had the early jets like the 707, which used to have tremendous dark uh, contrails of black smoke, uh, even at the lower altitudes, because, of course, the engines weren't as efficient back then as they are today. And, of course, the uh, Sud Caravel. Caravel was a French jet, almost like the uh, 727 or the DC-9, two engines in the back, but it was uh, a short-range aircraft. But, boy, those engines were very loud, and we used to hear them go overhead. So, I, you know, I got a real good interest. And the only time that I would see these airplanes go overhead is when the winds were out of the northwest. Now, in order to know when the winds were out of the northwest, you had to study the weather a little bit. And back then, we had uh, Frank Field on Channel 4, Tex Antoine on Channel 7, and Bob Harris on uh, some other various stations. And for the most part, I used to watch the weather and used to plot the weather as much as I possibly can. And I used to listen to what's called the NOAA Weather Radio. And that was uh, one of the ways that they used to get information out. Remember, this is way before we had uh, significant social uh, communications like Facebook or like texting or actually these cell phones for sure. So all information that you got was pretty tough to come by. My initial uh, idea of what I wanted to do in my life was to be a pilot. Uh, and probably around age 11, 12, of course, I went to my uh, uh, first 
eye doctor, and all of a sudden he said that I needed glasses. Well, back in the 1960s, if you needed glasses, being a pilot was absolutely out. You could not wear glasses when you were a pilot. Nowadays, of course, with the operations that they have, you can correct any vision from 2020. And here's an interesting fact. My eyes now have reverted back to perfect 2020 vision. This happens to a lot of myopics. Now, myopic is nearsightedness. You need glasses just to see across the street to see license plates. Um, the, the other ones where you need glasses to read, that's another type of problem. I never had that problem. And even to this day, I could still read. I could read very, very close, very, very small print, even on aspirin bottles. I do need a little bit more light because I am in my 60s at this point. But the interesting thing is my sight has come back. And they said about 50% of the people who are myopic or nearsighted um, basically do revert that way. Uh, it's a process that goes on as you age. But here I am. Now I can see fine. Can't fly. Never did fly. Um, wanted to be a pilot. Uh, looked into trying to get into some of the aviation schools like uh, uh, Burnside Ott, uh or uh, some of the other aviation schools down in Florida. They were all over the place. Also going into the Air Force. Uh, tried to get into the Air Force as a pilot, and they said it's not going to happen. Uh, talked to the airlines about possibly being a flight engineer. Of course, but by that time, flight engineers were on their way out. Didn't need them because electronics were just making a, a two-man cockpits. You didn't need that a flight engineer uh, who used to take care of a lot of the uh, onboard systems. So that was out. So... Aviation, being a pilot, just didn't seem like it was going to be there. So I did go to uh, a local community college at first and uh, tried to you know, find my way. And then they opened up a meteorology program over at Kane College. And that's when I went there. I went to Kane College for the uh, meteorology department and got my degree in meteorology in 1975. 1976, I went back for what's called synoptic meteorology. And you have to take synoptic meteorology. It was an extensive four-day course, three hours a night, um, map making, map interpretation, uh, a lot of math, a lot of uh, uh, calculations, and uh, actually drawing of charts. We did a lot of that. So that was uh, something that was extensive. It took a lot of my time during that one year afterwards. But I did go towards my master's. However, I never did get my master's. I did apply for my master's. And it's part of another story as, as we go along. Uh, I'll, I'll let you know about that. But uh, never really went at this point. Uh, I'm sort of like got my master's through the school of hard knocks. And the reason for that is because I think right from the get-go, right, right from the time I got out of college, I basically started working in meteorology. Actually, when I was in meteorology, when I was in college, uh, I used to go to the local cable TV sh uh, station down in Elizabeth, and I used to do a once-a-week uh, weather show. And I did that probably, I'd say, 1972, 73. I was also a, a co-op observer for the National Weather Service at a co-op station at uh, Union College in Cranford, New Jersey. And I used to take care of that. And for that, I got some money from the college, and it helped pay for my tuition when I was there. Uh, going over to Kane College, I also got a, a community college graduate scholarship, so it was easier, and it was also right around a block from me. I lived in Hillside. Uh, at the time, it was called Newark State. 
Before that, it was Newark Normal. Now it's it's Kane University. Went to Kane, went to Kane College and then to Kane University. And uh, even part of Kane University is in Hillside at this point. So my hometown is basically where uh, the college that I went to. And you'll see banners for Kane College on I-95 going down Philly. You'll see it all across the country. They're trying to get people to either do distance learning or to come to New Jersey. Uh, they still have a fairly large emphasis on education. However, they have branched out in many, many other fields. And uh, I think someday they're going to be uh, uh, noted as a, a very good school for just about everything. And they do have a graduate program. Uh, as far as meteorology is concerned for graduate and doctoral, um, doctoral programs, uh, Rutgers University pretty much runs the state as far as that's concerned. And they have constantly blocked them from having any type of environmental or meteorological uh, advanced degrees. And it's just a political thing. It's as simple as that. So that was that. I uh, graduated, went to my synoptic meteorology. One day, some uh, one of the guys I worked with who was working with a, a private weather company called National Weather Corporation, they were located over at Newark Airport. They had uh, said they had an opening, and I went over to imply. But, you know, it was the 1970s, coming out of the 1960s. I kind of had long hair and a beard. Maybe didn't make the best presentation. Uh, didn't get the job, but I knew my stuff, and I knew my stuff quite a bit. Um, just, uh, I guess, the earliest form of saying, well, you know, I can't hire this guy. He's a hippie freak. <laughs> but I really was, and I was sort of like a hawk. But long story short, uh, one of the guys who used to work at National Weather, Serv National Weather Corporation, his name was uh, Howard Havlin. And Howard uh, actually quit National Weather and opened up his own place up at Morristown Airport. He actually rented a trailer from Easy Trailer Company. And uh, it wasn't a very large trailer, but inside it he had all the weather documents, or all the weather equipment that you needed, which means he had a teletype and a fax machine and uh, weather instruments outside, telephone, of course. And then he was at the airport, so he went out and he solicited all the aviation clients there so that uh, maybe he can give them uh, aviation weather briefings right there at the field well he was all by himself so uh, he asked me to help him out i wasn't doing anything i didn't have a job uh, i was still going to synoptic meteorology so i probably in 1974 1975 is when i started with him because he he broke away in 74 and um i started just doing some part-time work with him didn't make money didn't make a lot of money at all in fact i think i kind of used some of that for co-op credit for my college and uh, for my advanced degrees, but uh, never really got into a situation where we made a lot of money. Um, so eventually what was happening is I was looking to get a job with Exxon. I was figuring what I can do is I can do environmental because environment awareness was starting to come up on that time. And I figured, hey, here's a good way for me to, to use my science knowledge, get involved with Exxon, because I always liked Exxon. Exxon was a company in Linden where they had the refinery. They were growing in New Jersey. They were building a place in Florham Park out in Annandale and uh, in, in other satellite locations all across the state. So I thought it would be a, a good mix for me. But Howard asked me to watch this station when he went in to get a uh, hernia operation. I remember it was like October of, uh, I think, 1976. And 1975, 1976, and up until that time, of course, I'm working with the uh, 
uh, synoptic meteorology. So I help him out, and I watch the place for uh, about a couple of months while he's recovering from his hernia operation. Then I remember right around Christmas time, he, uh, I, I went over to bring him some lasagna from my mother, believe it or not, because my mom makes lasagna. I always want lasagna on my birthday. My birthday's in December. I brought it up to him, and he just looked absolutely horrible. Uh, we can tell that there's something wrong. Uh, two days later, we got him back to the hospital, and we found out that he had cancer, and it was terminal cancer. Um, he didn't have any money. He didn't have any family. Uh, he had this business, and I sort of like kind of, you know, became friendly with the guy. So I said, okay, I'll watch the place, see what's happening, so on and so forth. Uh, so that went on through January, February, March of those early years. And uh, we found out uh, that he didn't have any money, so the hospital system was transferring him to these different different places because they didn't want to have him because he was costing him a lot of money. So I went to the American Cancer Society, told him about the problem. He has nobody, he has no friends. So basically what uh, they did is they took over the whole situation. They were fantastic. And this is in the 1970s, the American Cancer Society did this. And they took his whole case over, um, got him out of there and brought him to hospice, or what we'd call hospice nowadays. And uh, in April of... Uh, 77 he passed away uh also in april of 77 i got accepted to go to, to rutgers university for a master's in meteorology and also in april of 77 the sheriff came to give him a summons because he owed so many people so much money so with all this in mind uh it was like a little bit of a weird time a little bit of a rough start I had some friends over at King College where I was. One of them was Frank Lombardo, John Leo, uh, some other folks too. Uh, there was Keith Eichner who was also helping out Howard at the time. So we were all trying to keep this thing going. I didn't have a job. I had this business. This guy was dying. He had no family. He had second cousins who were putting him in the ground. And to this day, we know what cemetery he's in, but we don't know his exact marker. We can't even put a marker there because we're not part of the family. So that's not, neither here nor there. But it's just an interesting story, though, how this poor guy who uh, maybe had like five or six people at his week <laughs> um, was, uh, had to live his life that way and then ultimately uh, pass away. And here I am with this company. First, we called it... Uh, we incorporated a, what's called a straight C-Corp. Back in the 70s, that's what you thought. Oh, you're a big deal. You're coming out of college. Oh, I'm going to start a corporation. So we called the American Atmospheric and Meteorological Operational Services Corporation, or ATMOS. Only problem was is there was a company running around doing uh, heating and air conditioning, and they were called ATMOS. But instead of two A's, it was one A. So we ran with ATMOS for about maybe two or three years, and then all of a sudden they came after us, and they said, hey, can't use that we have the trademark on it we have this that and the other so uh we had a change but it was frank lombardo and i who had uh, f formed the corporation i was a 51 percent owner he was a 49 percent owner but we tried to do everything 50 50 well we're trying to uh get into uh, as we get into the 80s we're trying to get new customers mostly aviation mostly radio uh, alerts and warnings and, and stuff like that Alerts and warnings for towns and for other organizations. And basically what happened was we tried to computerize. This is in the early days before 
the internet was actually starting. Uh, I, I think AT&T used to call it audio text, and that was like in the early 80s. And uh, we were trying to find a way where we can take the, the weather data, take it in, put it through some of the new microcomputers that were coming out then. Back then, they were called the PET, you know, the Apple one. Uh, we used the Exidy Sorcerer. Uh, there was also the uh, Radio Shack, what they call TRS-80. Uh, we used the Exidy Sorcerer, and we had a gentleman, uh, a high school student named Robert Kravitz, who was actually able to uh, put together some actual hard code in order to take this weather data and put it on a screen, take what we need, throw away what we didn't want, and then print it out. And we started selling that to, or at least leasing it to some of the aviation departments on the field. And it worked out pretty good for a while there. But it, you know, it had a life cycle, especially as, as computer power increased. And as, of course, as Robert left and went to college, I think he went to MIT. And they did real well there. And I think he lives up in the Boston area right now and has a family. But long story short, that sort of went away. And in 1986, for some ungodly reason, we had... I, I would imagine seven employees. Uh, and I have this nice picture of all the people that we had there. Uh, Frank Lombard decided just to leave, and he took half the company. Uh, he told me in one day. It was sort of like one of those surprise things. So that was that. Uh, I was left with a, a few people, some salespeople, and it just slowly dwindled after that down to I felt what, what I needed was maybe one good person, one part-timer, and myself. And, of course, my wife would help out, too. And we had changed the name over to Ion Weather. We had done a survey uh, to a lot of the customers and a lot of the different names that we came up with. We came up with Ion Weather, and people liked it. I-O-N, not E-Y-E. Uh, and got a federal trademark for it. And uh, we continue to maintain that trademark at this point, at this day. That's why uh, CBS in New York can't call their weather Ion Weather, because they know I have the federal trademark. And they've kind of tried to approach us on it once or twice but never really a sale i did actually do some weather for cbs new york uh with a guy named john bothy that happened in the 1990s um what he would do is he would do the weekend weather there and uh, i would do my weather gig that i was doing over at morristown airport oh eventually we moved out of that trailer we moved to the tower at morristown airport and that, i think happened in 1978 so from 78 until, I think, 1998, we were at the tower at Marstown Airport, which was really cool because I just loved it. There's airplanes all over the place. There's also lots of critters that used to come into our office. We were on the base floor. Got hot in the summer, got cold in the winter, had a lot of pipes blow and this, that, and the other. But we still maintained uh, keeping this business together at that time. And I was doing radio. Uh, I did radio stations down the shore, uh, WJLK. Uh, all the way down uh, in Baltimore. There was a time that we were doing stations all the way out in the Midwest when John Bothy had brought in some of these stations and also up in Portland, Maine when we had taken over a couple of stations. But there's nothing like having a local weatherman and that's usually what worked out. I've always been on WMTR, WDHA, which is the, the station that's in Morris County. And uh, it's a very strong station. So we've always been there. And that's always, even to this day, we're still doing it that way. So, long story short, we had to leave there. We went to another very expensive office, which didn't work out, uh, in 1998 till about 2001. And from 2001 uh, till today, we've been uh, have our office in Denville, New Jersey. And we've been doing the same thing. But nowadays, what we're doing 
is we're doing a lot more uh, weather research. I got my certified consultant meteorologist uh, certification in about 2010 and certified broadcast in 2012. And we've been running with that. Uh, I also do um, snowstorm uh, epilogues, so to speak. How much snow falls in each specific city. I do over 140 cities during the wintertime. Each storm, what happens in these cities using either observations or anything else that I have. But long story short, throughout all this, I've met a lot of great people. Bud Lacey, who used to work for the National Weather Service, actually worked for National Weather Corporation. Daddy worked for the National Weather Service down in D.C. Uh, Jim Nachi, who works for the National Weather Service up in Boston, unless he's already retired. Uh, Steve Cool, Basil Numizinski, he's out on the West Coast. Uh, a, a lot of folks that, that, that had passed through uh, our doors and have come in. Dave Jones, who uh, did a lot of our work and who I worked with uh, for the Essex County Road Department. A lot of great people. So I've seen a lot of people. I've had a lot of great people. I've had uh, during this time, I had my son Steve. Steve Jr. now helps us out over at the office. And uh, Matt and uh, Matthew, at this point, just graduated from Belmont University. So, uh, long story short, here I am. Uh, I've testified in court over 100 times in my last 45 years. The very first time I testified was in 1977 uh, for the prosecutor. I know the guy's name is Ray Zeltner, and it was a, a criminal case in Union County, uh, my home county. Uh, and since that time, I've uh, testified in Maryland. Pennsylvania, uh, New York, and Connecticut. Uh, we write uh, over 100 reports every year. Uh, we do a, a lot of uh, storm histories and basically just general answer general weather questions. Uh, a good friend, Dr. Ed Galkin, flow, uh, flies around the world. He's done it uh, three times already. He's going to try it again uh, in April of next year. He was scheduled to go this year in his uh, Cessna 210. Uh, we'll have more to say on that. We're going to interview Dr. Ed on that. He's uh, going around the world to raise awareness for Alzheimer's disease and a cure for that. Uh, that's coming up in another uh, podcast that we'll be hearing soon. So I just figured I'd just give you a little bit of background. I'm the middle child of seven kids from Hillside, New Jersey. I used to look up and see airplanes overhead. Loved Newark Airport. Um, when I was a kid, they, uh, I wrote them a letter and said, hey, keep the airplanes coming over. They picked me up, brought us over, put us in a brand new 727, which at the time was brand new in 1963. I have some great pictures on those one of these days. I'll post some of those. But uh, it's, it's been a fun ride, but we're still riding, and the car's still running. And we're going to come back and talk to you again real soon. I've talked a little bit over it. My producer's yelling at me. A little too long here, Steve, but... That is my story. That is my introduction. I am meteorologist Steve Pelletieri, a certified consultant meteorologist, certified broadcast meteorologist, member of the American Meteorological Society, and a uh, part owner of Ion Weather Research, LLC, along with my wife, Susan. And uh, hope to uh, talk to you real soon. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Have yourself a great day, and we'll be talking to you real soon.